Hello and welcome to this edition of the Heart Podcast. I'm Dr. Alistair Lindsay, recording this evening from the BMA House in central London. In this podcast, we'll be examining something slightly different. We'll be looking at the clotting cascade, and in particular, we'll be talking about a recent government initiative in the UK to try and prevent fatal venous thromboembolism. This was part of a national quality initiative called SEQUIN for short, or Commissioning for Quality Innovation, which aimed to screen all patients coming into hospital for their potential risk for venous thromboembolism, and a target of greater than 90% of admissions screened was set. This initiative was implemented some years ago, and the paper by Dr. Lester and his colleagues examines the impact of this government initiative and what clinical impact it had in terms of patients being screened and subsequent venous thromboembolism. Dr. Lester works at the University Hospital of Birmingham NHS Foundation Trust and is also a participant in the Quality and Outcomes Research Unit at the University Hospital of Birmingham. Good evening, Will. Good evening. Well, thank you very much for joining us with this edition of the podcast. The title of your paper in Heart this week is Fatal Venous Thrombebolism Associated with Hospital Admission, a cohort study to assess the impact of a national risk assessment target. Now, obviously, clotting is a subject that is uh, very interesting to cardiologists, and I think this paper addresses a number of issues uh, and its potential impact. In, In your case, you studied the impact of a national program on venous thromboembolism and trying to prevent it. I wondered if we could start with a little bit at the beginning of how uh, big a problem venous thromboembolism is in day-to-day clinical practice uh, in 2013. Uh, Certainly. In in terms of its impact, say, relative to other cardiovascular diseases like MI and stroke, it is the third uh, biggest killer. It's similar in the sense that it gets more common as you get older. Um, But in relation to this paper, something very specific about venous thromboembolism is that the risk is uh, of a magnitude higher in, in association with hospital admission. So we know that your, your uh, relative risk of getting a deep vein thrombosis or pulmonary embolism is at least a hundredfold higher uh, as a result of hospital procedures. And we know that that risk persists not only during the admission, but for up to 90 days after the admission as well. Um, in terms of the, the, the burden uh, overall in the country, um, a lot of uh, episodes of venous thromboembolism are community associated. There may be risk factors. Uh, we, we know of lots of risk factors. I mean, we're talking um, about uh, one in a thousand pe- uh, people in the population will have a, an episode of venous thromboembolism per year. There's a sort of ballpark figure of how many people die of a pulmonary embolism uh, in a year in England. It's been estimated that's about 60,000. There is a problem with these types of figures is that they are partly um, uh, an estimate. And that's because we don't necessarily know the true uh, numbers of deaths because we don't do that many post-mortems anymore. Um, It was, uh, certainly in terms of historical uh, um, post-mortem data from hospitals when they used to do a lot more post-mortems. They would say at least 10% of all uh, deaths in hospital were probably uh, caused by pulmonary embolism. We don't really have that sort of data for now. Mm. This is historical data. Right. So, I mean, there was a figure banded around um, over the past decade of about 25,000 deaths from pulmonary embolism associated with hospital admission. I mean, I think, I think our data sort of suggest that that's 
possibly an overestimate. But with a caveat that we obviously may be missing uh, events. You know, we're only counting events which are on a death certificate. And that may depend on whether a post-mortem has been done or not. So certainly when we count the events, we're talking about, you know, five, 6,000 a year that, we, that may be associated with hospital admission rather than 25,000. But there's always this rider that we're not quite sure about the, the real burden. Um, it's a, guess, yes, it's a well, guesstimate. Yes, that's, that's very clear. Thank you. But I, I guess it's fair to say that even uh, with those uh, outliers and, and things that you're not quite certain about, that the, the, the statistics for in-hospital risk are, are really very sobering. Yeah. Um, and hence, uh, in the UK, this is something that we've been targeting quite actively. And you actually, in your paper, look at the impact of a commissioning for quality innovation, or yeah. as otherwise called sequin. Yeah. Uh, and the purpose of that initiative was to look at patients in hospital and see how many of them were being adequately assessed yeah. for their venous thromboembolism risk. Yeah. And therefore, of course, they could be treated prophylactically. Can you tell us a little bit more about that initiative? Yeah, and, and absolutely. How I mean, I mean in, in, if you look at in terms of an internationally, as a health policy, it's, it's quite innovative. I mean, it, it, it's quite radical. Um, but I think we have to go back a bit to 2005. So in 2005, there was a health committee report, um, and it was highlighting this issue of, of, of how we were, you know, this was a major health burden, the fact that the patients were getting hospital-associated venous thromboembolism, often fatal, and we were not doing much to prevent it. And, and in 2007, the chief medical officer uh, came up with a report and had some experts sort of supporting him, saying that really we should be uh, risk assessing every patient who comes through the doors of the hospital and is admitted. We should be risk assessing, looking at how much of a risk they have of developing venous thromboembolism during the hospital admission or afterwards, up to that 90 days. And that Obviously, once you risk assess someone, if you then identify that they're at high risk, you know, they're having surgery or cancer, or other sort of known risks, then perhaps an intervention could then be offered to them. Yeah. We, we get to 2010, we have a, a new NICE uh, guideline again saying we really should be risk assessing everyone. We have a buy-in from the Royal Colleges agreeing. And at the same time, we have a, 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 a sort of new government initiative or a DH initiative, um, the sequins. Uh, and these are uh, basically really financial penalties that are applied to hospitals that don't achieve a certain quality target. And I suppose in some ways it was a, quite a, a, a bold thing to do, to, you know, to, to apply this on a national scale. The problem with any financially associated quality target is that you, you worry that if you're focused on that, you might ignore other important issues of quality. Yes, you mentioned your manuscript that particularly in regard to medical patients, yeah. this policy was quite controversial. Yeah, Is that definitely. presumably because medical patients were presumed to be lower risk or was it because uh, uh, of the yeah, higher I mean, volumes? Uh, one of the controversies is, 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 is in terms of the literature from trials is that uh, and this is the next step. So we assume that if we risk assess someone and put and think they're at risk, we then come up with an intervention. And that intervention it may be a, um, a chemical thromboprophylaxis. I mean, for example, it could be low molecular weight heparin. There are some newer drugs as well that are used for specific conditions. But but um, the chemical thromboprophylaxis, we know that there's a there's a there are risks associated with that intervention as well as benefits. And one of the risks is is bleeding. 
So there was always that worry, yes. uh, and people are still were not sure whether there was definitely a mortality benefit from... I mean, there are big studies that show that you do reduce venous thromboembolism by 50% if you use uh, this treatment in medical patients, but it just, it, it's just that the trials sometimes there's an equipoise between benefit and harm and i think if i'm jumping ahead a little bit but if you were talking about one of the one of the weaknesses of our study we look very much at, at the benefit of risk assessment in terms of reducing fatal pe but we were not able to look at harms right um and so we haven't necessarily addressed that worry but but certainly you know we we, we were interested in what we would find when we subdivided patients into medical and surgical to see whether the benefit of uh, increasing risk assessment applied to both groups. Yes, and I think your paper yeah. has some interesting findings there. Just yeah. be- before we get to that, could you maybe just tell us a little bit about how you went about assessing the impact of yeah. the uh, sequin initiative? So, uh, I mean, uh, it, without wanting to be critical of the DH, we, uh, you know, ideally when you, when you launch a national initiative like this, um, with financial penalties, ideally you would want some uh, uh, really plan of how you're going to analyse the impact. You know, if, if, you, if you're going to do a major step like this, you want to, to really look at uh, important outcomes and say, okay, is this, is, has this uh, intervention resulted in, in true patient benefit? Um, and so so as uh, the, the quality and outcomes research unit that I, I work with have, have, are very much interested in, in patient-related outcomes, important outcomes, not, not how many people are risk assessed or even how many people receive interventions like mechanical or pharmacological prophylaxis. We're interested in further down the line, is this translating into reducing venous thromboembolism, both fatal and non-fatal? And and so unfortunately there was no predefined analysis plan no predefined methodology associated with this sequin uh to 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 look at this so we, we as out you know external observers independent of dh we were just interested ourselves to say okay let's get a, a proper outcome and let's, let's try our best to analyze this um and the quality and outcomes research unit is a collaboration between clinicians and um um informaticians and uh, it's headed by uh, one of the authors of the paper Professor Domenico Pagano and and it's a it, 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 what it allows is often as clinicians we we observe these interventions we're interested in outcomes we, we know what questions to ask but we don't know how to interrogate data NHS data to answer those questions whereas informaticians who are becoming increasingly important in the NHS I think know how to interrogate data and give you answers, but they don't know the necessarily the right questions to ask. So when, you, when we come together, we, you know, as a team, I think it, it works well. So we did come together on this subject. The Quora have looked at other things in the past, like um, uh, increased mortality at weekends, which is p- part of the uh, reason that we're probably moving towards seven-day working weeks. But this, this was a topic of interest as well. Um, and so what we did is we, you know, we started to, to look at how we can interrogate that what is described I think, as a gold mine of data. I mean, the NHS provides uh, uh, an unrivaled amount of data internationally, I think, um, in terms of uh, admission coding and, de- and cause of death data. So we worked out methodology to interrogate two main data sources, which is HESS, Hospital Associated 
sorry, hospital episode statistics and ONS Office of, Office of National Statistics data um, to, 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 to look at whether um, there was a, an impact from when a hospital actually achieves that quality target of, of, of risk assessing at least 90% of its patients. Um, and I mean, should I go into the statistics? Yes. Well, actually, no, thank you. That's very clear. I mean, in terms of the size of the study, could you give us some impression of how many hospitals and how many patients? Yeah. I mean, we, we basically looked at all all admissions in England uh, over a period of almost two years. We looked from from 2010 up till 2012, and we're talking about millions of patient admissions, and so. In that regard, although it's not a randomised controlled study, it, it, you know it's on a huge scale. And when you look at on a scale like that, you can pick up changes in mortality rates, which you often struggle to find when you when you do a randomised study, because it's, it, you don't get the power to do that. So, so it was it was we, we were looking at literally millions of admissions, um, and so millions of data sets. And this is something that wouldn't have been so easy in the past, but it's really computing power uh, that has allowed us to be able to do this type of analysis now. Uh, you know, we've got the processing power now that we can actually an- analyze that that amount of data. Um, so one of the ways you divided this large amount of data that I thought came out very nicely in the paper is that you looked at short stay patients yeah. and patients who stayed longer yeah. uh, than it was three days which you were cut off. Yeah. So uh, was there any rationale behind that uh, uh, yeah, um, I mean, on a hematological we, basis or I mean, was we, that just we, the data? We, we had a pre-defined sort of defined, um, principle analysis and, 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 uh, and, and we thought that the, the, the group of patients who are most likely to benefit from risk assessment and potentially then receive intervention with those staying more than three days. We have a national risk assessment tool and being immobile for three days or more is one of the risks. So, so the principal analysis was those, those patients who were in for, for more than three days. And, and the secondary analysis um, included those who were staying for actually less than four days, so up till day three, uh, just to see whether we saw a similar or a different finding in that group. And we also separately looked at day case. Right. OK. So could you talk us through the principal analysis? Yeah. Results, so first of all? The principal analysis, um, So we, we, we looked at um, both separately and together. We looked at um, inpatient uh, mortality death from venous thromboembolism and then we then looked at any time from the first day of discharge up to the 90th day so there were two periods the sort of inpatient period and the post-discharge period and we used the 90 days based on previous data published in the BMJ several years ago from the, from the million women uh, sort of cohort and in terms of, 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 of the actual mortality from venous thromboembolism we, we did two analysis one was where the VTE was the primary cause of death. And then we, we also analyzed where venous thromboembolism was in the first three parts of the death certificate. Um, so, so if not, definitely the primary cause was, was a contributing cause. And to cut a long story short, we found that there was a statistically significant reduction in, uh, in mortality if you it, certainly if you combined inpatient stay and post discharge now in in terms of the statistics are relatively complex because we we had hospitals achieving this 90% target at different time points over over that period of analysis 
Um, and um, so we looked at hospitals pre and post achieving that quality target of 90%. And we looked at hospitals who had and hadn't at any time point. So there were two analyses going on at the same time uh, with with some degree of correction for any underlying trends as well that were potentially unrelated to the quality assessment, to the risk assessment of 90%. So it was this dual analysis of pre and post and I suppose a parallel analysis over the time period as well. So the statistics were relatively complex. I mean, one of the interesting things I, I thought that came out from the subgroup analysis yeah. was that, uh, in fact, the VTE events were, were lower in the surgical group in comparison with the, the non-surgical group. Is that correct? We tried to subdivide groups by looking at, at HES codes for, for what we call surgical room procedures. So you can you can get a feel for who's had surgery and who hasn't through through HES coding. And then we then we subdivided and analysed those who we called non-surgical and surgical. And, and I think what we... In terms of the, the the numbers, there are a lot more non-surgical patients, and although the numbers of deaths were higher in the non-surgical group, there there were lots more admissions. So actually, in terms of the rate, not that dissimilar actually. Um, we did find a slightly different pattern between surgical and non-surgical in terms of where the impact of the sequence seemed to be. I mean, we did have some. I mean, some findings were perhaps unexpected. I mean, for example, when we looked at, when we did the secondary analysis on those staying for up to three days, there was also a statistically significant reduction in PE death. And, and, and I suppose one of the surprises was, well, I guess those individuals may not necessarily be getting that much pharmacological prophylaxis. So maybe that's not the only explanation. Maybe, maybe there are other potential uh, influences. And so one of our hypotheses was that Maybe it's staff and, and patient awareness. Oh, yes. Yeah, and so that that hypothesis also fit in with the fact that our analysis didn't show an obvious reduction in non-fatal readmissions. It, the, the, the reduction was in fatality, and and you can imagine that there's there's potentially a prodrome before fatality where you you develop some symptoms of VTE, and be that leg pain, leg swelling, chest pain, breathlessness, and 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 within in a in an NHS environment where awareness has been increased you know, that maybe you're actually going to potentially get more diagnoses made. And, and a diagnosis made and treated is, is then going to avoid a potential death further down the line. If I, think, I think that's a really important yeah. point. So it's a national screening program that in many ways seems to be have various measures and, and, and outcomes that need to be met. But in yeah. actual fact, it may be the more uh, intangible factors that are equally as important here. I, I think if this was something that uh, looks like it's been successfully implemented from, from your paper, uh, how easy do you think it is to transfer... Uh, national initiatives like this into other healthcare systems. I mean, as you r rightly point out, in the UK, we're very lucky that we have a very coordinated government healthcare system in, in many ways that allows us to track events quite easily. Um, do you think this sort of initiative is this could easily be transferred to other countries, for example? Doing the risk assessment, I think people generally buy into. Um, and but the, but the, but it's it's how you introduce a health policy to sort of drive that. Because just wanting to do it, uh, you know, which is what we all have been supposed to be doing since 2007 at least, is not the same as, as being sort of uh, arm-twisted into making sure it definitely happens. Yes. Um, but yeah, like you say, really health systems differ across the world. And, 
and so it would be a little bit more difficult to to enforce but 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 i suppose institutions generally internationally could could look and and see you know see this sort of data and and think about how they could possibly translate it to their their own health environments yeah so i think an important uh, part of this and in, in fact my final question was just going to be about looking forward uh, are, is this work that you're planning to continue it'd be interesting certainly to see the long-term effects of on morbidity and mortality from uh, an initiative such as this do you have yeah i mean we, we, we are plans? keen to look at the harms issue i mean uh, you know that's certainly something that we've acknowledged in the paper and 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 it's not quite so easy to look at, at coding data, um, but we are currently looking at that because um, we want to see the whole picture, really. Um, you know the impact of this, and um, and we're also looking at, at at looking at subgroups. So rather than just seeing patients in, in uh, under one analysis, we, and we we have tried to look at surgical versus non-surgical. What we're interested in is looking at actually different patient groups, so looking at uh, neurosurgical patients, looking at stroke patients, looking at different groups of patients, because actually they have different risks, they have different uh, interventions, and potentially have different outcomes. So, so it, 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 we're trying to now uh, get more granularity on what we've seen. We've, we've taken a sort of overview of the whole NA, you know, NHS, but we're quite interested in getting more specific um, granular information that may be of help or of interest because if we're seeing one patient group benefiting and then another not benefiting I suppose the question is what difference you know we should be doing something different for that group that's not benefiting from this increase in risk assessment absolutely trying to fine-tune the risk yeah I mean that, yeah absolutely fine-tuning and it, it needs to be done in in, in collaboration with with randomized controlled studies mm -hmm. i mean it's it's I, I mean you know there are there are failings of of our type of observational study we you know we have the numbers but we don't necessarily have the the granularity they have the granularity without necessarily the numbers i mean it's one of those things where, where together i think um you know that, that you get the sort of data that you need yeah. Well, Will, thank you very much for that uh, comprehensive uh, analysis and discussion of your paper. I think it's a really important publication. We're delighted to be publishing it here in Heart. And thank you very much for your time tonight. Thank you very much.